Welcome to the Mensch. This is Rabbi Chaim Mensch. This is our 10th episode. And I got to tell you something. Each week we have unbelievable stories that are coming out in the news. And I try to comment on it to give you a perspective. How to think like a Mensch through the cacophony of the stuff that's going on out there. And this week the biggest news is the Democrat held their convention, which is so different than all other conventions. Personally, I didn't like the way they did it. What they spoke about has nothing to do with my commentary. We're talking about the style of the convention. Now, each and every one of us, each and every one of us who were watching said, oh, that was nice. But you want to know something? I want to go back in history and talk about two of the Democrat conventions, because this is the week of the Democrat conventions. And you would see the difference between the way it used to be and the way it is now. Let's go back to 1968. Who was the president at that time? It was Lyndon Johnson, who uh, won the 1964. He was loved. He literally came in in 1964. He was huge. But there was a war going on, the Vietnam War. And because he liked it and he wanted the troops to win, all of a sudden, groups started forming. And huge amount of protests against the war was happening. When the conventions opened up, there was already what we call a rebellion within the Democrat Party, a real rebellion. Because when a president is president, he usually gets the nominee for the next four years. No one's going to go openly and do a mutiny on the presidency. But no. There were people that were very much against the war. The Democrat Party was switching to a whole new place. Let me tell you what was going on. The Democrat Convention in 1968 was held from August 26th through 29th in Chicago. It was held in an amphitheater in, in Chicago. And the Democrat Party was having rebellion on the floor of the convention. And beforehand, let me tell you what was happening beforehand. As I said before, Lyndon Bain Johnson, the president, was very popular. But because he spoke highly about the Vietnam War, people started coming out of the woodwork. One was Eugene McCarthy. Nobody knew of Eugene McCarthy, but he was an unknown from Minnesota. And he challenged Johnson for the presidency. Now that is chutzpah. A few days after he said, I want to become president, all of a sudden, another person jumped up, and that was Robert F. Kennedy. Now, if anybody knows what was going on, this was not a happy scene. Everybody wanted, those who were part of the loyalists to, to President Johnson, so be it. President Johnson saw the writing on the wall by March 31st. Six months before the election, he stunned everybody. With a television address, he was not going to seek election. Let these two people fight it out. Vice President Humphrey, who was backed by Johnson, now became the candidate to run for president. As you would have like today, Biden running, uh, you know, after Obama, or you would have 
Pence, you know, running after Trump. So what happened was McCarthy was running for president. You had now Eugene McCarthy, and then you have it a mega name, and his name was Robert F. Kennedy. By the time they came to the convention, we got to nominate our leader. Outside the convention, it was riots going on. Major riots were going on. Anti-war riots were going on. But you see, in those days, there weren't a lot of TV cameras to be able to go all over the place. All you saw was going on inside. But outside, was it was bedlam. First of all, many people don't know, but in those days, there were groups that went up against the normalcy. Black Panthers. Remember those, you remember those names? Black Panthers, these people literally were very violent. Almost as if you have today the Antifas today. These are groups that always come up every once in a while. And they're violent in their ways because they want to get what they want. And they, that's how they get their, want their change. They're changing the entire system. By the time the evening was over, or the four days were over, there was so much violence going outside. The National Guard had to be called in. It was embarrassing for the Democrat Party because they weren't united. And all of a sudden, guess who comes into power? Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon comes in, and he ends the war. Said enough is enough. And he, but we know eventually what happened with Richard Nixon. But what I want to bring out is, in the good old days, you used to have on the floor states saying, no, we want this president. No, we want this president. We want these rules. We want those rules. We want this in the platform. We want that in the platform. We want abortion rights. We don't, we don't want abortion rights. All of this was played out in front of the cameras. You had, you had reporters, and they had these like headsets on with these, like these antennas coming out of their heads, and they were going like this. There's a rebellion coming out of Massachusetts because in order to go and give their electoral votes to the nominee, they want to have this and this put into the platform. But Pennsylvania is finding it. It's not going to be good for us if you do this. And you would see the Democrat positions, what the president will run on. It was never sanitized. It was always, always a wild scene. And this happened on both parties, Democrat and Republican. But I'm just talking to you today about the, what went on in the Democrat convention. When was the last time there was a rebellion? It was 2012. There was a small rebellion. I'm sure many of you remember. Who was speaking on the stage? It was none other than the former mayor of Los Angeles, Antonio Villaragosa. And he was opening up the second session of the Democrat National Convention. But something happened in Charlotte. The whole convention center went into chaos. This was right before the big speech of Bill Clinton. You got to realize something. Bill Clinton is one of the stars of the Democrat Convention uh, Party. And what happened was, you don't make a turmoil before him. Barack Obama, who was then president, but also wanted to be the nominee, he intervened personally to head off a mounting clamor from Jewish donors and pro-Israel groups who were objecting that there was a line in the Democrat platform and it was taken out that the Democrat Party supported Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. 
And the Jewish people say, what? You want our money? You want our vote? What is going on here? They also took God out of the platform. Anyway, so the Jewish people was, you know, they were doing their thing. They were going behind the scenes. So the mayor of Villagrosa came out and said, okay, we're going to put to vote a new thing. Because there's all those that would like to hear that Israel is the capital, that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, say aye. And those against it say nay. No. So all of a sudden, he said, do I, how many eyes do I have? How many nays are there? And it was an equal amount. First time in history, you saw in front of your eyes a very embarrassing thing. That there was a 50% voice in a political party that was against Israel having Jerusalem as its capital. So Bill, uh, the mayor went and said again, okay, let's do this again. All those that say... I, that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and the place that I'm. And then there were cameras focusing on a certain section of the convention center. And these were Arab Muslim Americans. And they went up and they screamed, Aye! and the nays out shouted the eyes. And you need two thirds. Mayor Villaragosa goes like this, I can't believe what I'm saying. Here, and he actually said that, I can't, he's looking bewildered. And he goes, one more time. All those that say, I, that Jerusalem is the capital, I. And then all those say, nay, and there were more nays. He says, for my ears, two-thirds of the people say, I, Jerusalem is now part of, is on our platform that it's the capital city. That was a rebellion. And that was not supposed to be played on TV. And everybody learned from then on. This doesn't make us look good. Because all of a sudden you're starting to hear where the party is going. And it may make a lot of our constituents. Because there are a lot of people out there that love Israel. So in the 2016, they started making it more very scripted. And there was no more battles. The, the positions were figured out before the convention. So all it became was an infomercial for your party. What is it about this year's? I watched the parts of the DNC convention. I got to be honest with you. It bothered me that there were no people there. I get it. I get it. We're during the corona days. But all I heard was the same thing over and over. Everybody was doing the same words. It was either knocking somebody or praising somebody. But nothing was more in between. There was nothing about policy. But in the good old days, we were always talking about policies and we were fighting for policies, whether you liked it or not. But television all of a sudden brings out an ugly part of the people in your party that may not look well. Today, it's so sanitized is that you all believe that whatever you hear is the truth. But the reality is, they didn't really speak their platform. Did you notice that there are a lot of people that want to have the Green Deal? There's a lot of people that are Bernie Sanders fans. But only one person spoke for Bernie Sanders. 
but nobody brought up his beliefs. The Democrat Party, it appears that there are so many different voices today. I would have loved to have seen it and them coming together in unity. Unfortunately, we are now in a time of prepackaged, and even Michelle Obama's speech, it was filmed even before Senator Harris, Kamala, uh, Kamala became vice president. That's how prepackaged these things are. You and I lose out if this is the way from now on the conventions are going to be. As a mensch, I say to you, bring back everybody's opinion. If you are the party, whether the Democrat Party or the Republican Party, they're always saying, we are inclusive of everyone. And how come we didn't have the floor fights, the backroom fights on TV as it used to be? Because that's how you bring everybody together, despite our differences. Put it on display, but do it as a mentor would do it. Love each other in the conversation. <sighs> Please don't go away from me, convention. Please bring back the good old days. And you and I should write to our congresspeople and our senators. We expect more. What say you? God bless America, because we really need his blessings. Welcome back to the Mens. For this segment, we're going to have my producers asking me questions, which is a favorite part of this show by so many. So to understand how this works, I'm going to send you to my producer, Jack. Take it away. Hi, Rabbi. This is What Would a Mensch Do? These are quick bites asking topical questions from today's news. For the first question, the Postmaster General testified this morning before the Senate answering to concerns about mail-in voting. Many say he is trying to impact the election through voter suppression. What's your opinion? Just the opposite. And you must understand. Is that if I can stand online at Ralph's for food, if I could stand at the gas station, I can stand six feet away and line up to vote. In fact, we don't just vote on Monday. We vote. The polls are usually open a week beforehand and gives us plenty of time to vote. What, what am I worried about? And it's not just because of what Donald Trump is trying to say. What I really believe is, is that I've noticed two things. Anybody could lose a sack of mail. And that amount could be in either a Democrat place or a Republican place. And that could be the difference of 30,000 votes, which can win a state. The second thing is, I noticed that all of these ballots have a D on it and an R on it, on the outside label. That means this is being sent to a Democrat voter and this is being sent to a Republican voter. When it comes in, it should never, ever be that the outside people know who's voting. The guy could literally chuck hundreds and hundreds of R's or D's away. This is not the way to do it. Unfortunately, there are people that can't go to the voting booth. They may be in-house. They may be living in convalescent homes. Or they could be soldiers. 
or you're on a, you, you know, you have to go to a wedding out of town. So you can't have an absentee ballot. The difference between an absentee ballot and just throwing thousands out there is the difference between millions of ballots going to one area versus millions coming from many different areas. So the question is, is there a suppression of the vote by holding back money? No, there's no money being brought back. You see, it all started with a picture of a bunch of mailboxes in Wisconsin being hauled away. And everybody said, look, Trump is sending away mailboxes that you can't vote. All of a sudden, the Democrat of Wisconsin, who runs the Postal Service, goes, says, no, we have a contract. Every single few years, we take out boxes that get rusty, we fix them, and we bring them back. This is nothing new. But we're not going to do it anymore until after the election, so everybody is happy. So it was not Trump doing anything. So all of a sudden they say, well, we need more money, we need more money. We you can have all the money you want. But please don't send out to every home in America a ballot. Because I guarantee you, on election night, there will be over 300 million ballots counted. And there's only about 200 million of us that can actually vote. This is a way of fraud. Great question. Important to understand what it is. The mensch says, get out and vote. If you can go buy food, if you can go get gas, if you can go to your doctor's appointment, you can do the most religious thing an American can do and stand six feet away from someone and vote. Great question. Thanks, Rabbi. Recent weeks in LA have seen incredible heat waves. Rabbi, does the Torah have an explanation for climate change? Well, heat waves has always been part of California. I mean, we, are, we have records to the 1800s, where it's gone over 100 degrees during these days. But does the Torah have anything to do with climate change? There are two things that I can tell you from the Torah. The first thing is, is that we have to take care of our environment. We cannot pollute water. We cannot purposely go and pollute air. Does that mean the world is changing? Does that mean there's a whole climate there's a God in this world. And if it got too bad, God knows how to fix it. So I'm not worried that this world is going to be destroyed. But God is asking us, do the best that you can. So I'm happy that there's electric cars. I'm happy that there's unleaded gas. Why? Or do I have to breathe in all the lead? I'm happy that we have rules how to keep waters safe and clean. I'm happy about that. But do I believe that the whole world is changing and we're all going to die? No. Why? Because God created this world for a purpose. And God will recognize when we mess up too much, he keeps on saving us from ourselves. And that will continue to happen. But that doesn't mean we should rely on miracles. Therefore, if anybody wants to donate a Tesla to me, I'll be more than happy to drive. Great question. A family friend of mine recently passed away. Uh, since he wasn't Jewish, my question is, is it appropriate to say Jewish prayers, whether that be prayers of healing or prayers of mourning, for someone who isn't Jewish? 
the number one thing that you should do is is pray for the family that is in pain. When we go to Shiva, which means we go visiting the home of the mourners, we always go there. We leave with a prayer: May God send you strength and comfort you, and heal all the mourners, even going way back to the days of Jerusalem when that was destroyed, because we're still mourning the destruction of Jerusalem. So, the answer to your question is: Should there are there prayers? Yes. The first words could be is when you visit somebody, just say not how are you feeling, because trust me, they feel rotten. What you should say is, I'm here for you. When you need to talk, call me even eleven o'clock at night. I'm here for you, and then you can always pray for the family that they should be able to overcome their pain. A lot of people do not understand. It has nothing to do with being Jewish or not Jewish. It has to do with being a mensch. We're all humans. I was chosen to be Jewish. I serve God as a Jew, but I live in the world of humanity. When someone's in pain, you don't pick and choose by their religion, their race, the skin of their color. You choose to do what God wants you to do. Be a mensch. Welcome back to the final segment of the Mensch, where I always like to give you a lesson or a story. I'm going to put something together. Today is the first month, first day of the month of Elul. Elul is a month prior to the high holidays. This is a month of preparation, where we try to work on our actions, and we are like an accountant. We go through what we did the past year. And we try to fix up our misdeeds that we did with humanity, that we did with our family, between us and God, etc. So we then come 30 days from our Rosh Hashanah. We all stand in front of God and say, God, I know today is your inauguration day, but you're the king. We love you. Can I have a new sheep? Can I have a new cow? Can I have this? We're asking God for all these things for a new year. And we walk out there and God loves us. Yay, happy new year. Is that the way it really works? Could you imagine a king sits there on his throne and all the people come up to him and says, Your Majesty, you're the greatest king. We love you. You're phenomenal. Could you give me a plow? And on inauguration day or the anniversary of his inauguration, he says, Sure, you said beautiful things. Give him from our treasures a plow. Is it, you know how naive we would have to be if that's the way it works? So let me tell you a story that is written in mysticism, how the month of Elul works. There was a king. He knew inauguration day was coming. He said, you know, there's so many times people, they just come up to me and they just say how much they love me. But do they really? So the king decided to leave his throne room and his residence. And he locked all the doors, but he told everybody, nobody can come in here. I want to meditate for 30 days. And he took a secret passage out and he dressed as a commoner. And he went everywhere. He went to the bars and he was listening to people. And he would ask them, oh, what do you think of the king? And they would laugh. Ah, the king's an idiot. Oh, the king is great. The king, this policy is good. This policy is not good. The king should be doing this. The king should be doing that. And he would walk all around the city. And he would take mental notes of all the people 
that loved him, that criticized him in a constructive way, and also those that literally were proud to break his laws. But then he says, but what about the guy out there in the field, the farmer? What about him? He's so far away. How does he feel? He's always coming for a plow. He's always coming for an ox. So the king decided he's going to walk all the way out to the farmlands. He comes out to the farmlands, and there he sees a farmer in the middle of his field. And he goes, hello, hello, can you hear me? The guy couldn't hear him. He was far away. So the king decided that he was going to go into the field and speak to the farmer. As he's stepping through the field, he's noticing there's manure everywhere. He just fertilized the entire city, the entire field. And as he was walking through the field, he was <laughs> the smell of the king was literally something he never did in his life, not as a prince and definitely not as a king. Comes over to the guy and says, I'm sorry the way I smell. He says, do you know which way it is to the palace? He says, yes, take down this road. You go here, you go there. You go. He says, did you ever go to the palace? He says, no. What do you think of the king? The king? Oh, you know what I love about the king? Is that he buys milk from a certain supplier. And I have cows. And I give all my milk to the supplier. And all I think about while I work is maybe today's milking will be in the cup of the king tomorrow. That's all I care about, that the king should have something of what I feel so good about to serve him in his kingdom. He says, anything else? No, that's it. I'm simple. That's it. The king goes back out of the field, smelling from manure. He goes back to his king, uh, to his palace, and the day of inauguration, everybody's coming up, and he checks out people, what they say to him, he says, I recognize, you loved me, here, you can have your wish. You didn't so much like me. Hmm, let me think about it, we'll get back to you 10 days from now. All of a sudden, this farmer showed up and said, your majesty, a few days ago, somebody came visiting me. And spoke to me about the king. And you know what? I never came here. But I just wanted to go and say, God bless you. And may you have a healthy year. And with that, he took out a special jug. that it was clean. And he says, here is milk. Please enjoy this glass. The king told everybody, please stop. And he says, come with me in my chamber. Comes in the chamber and he says, I was the king disguised, and I came to you, and you had such a pure heart. He said, that was you, but you walked in the manure. I'm so sorry. I, I wish I wasn't there. You, you were smelling bad. And the king goes and says, to visit my children and my people makes no difference where there are. I love them enough to go through the smelly areas just to see your love for me. My dear friends, that is the month of Elo. Some of us live in pristine places, very religious places. Some of us may be in homes that are not so kosher. Some of us may be, may be in places that are not spiritually nice. God is coming to you during this month. 
He just wants to see in your heart and soul, do you love him? Did you light your Shabbos candles this week? Did you put on the tefillin? When you met a stranger, did you say hello with a smile? Or did you act grumpy to him? The king is in the field. He's watching. It sounds like uh, a movie, a song from Pet Midler. God is watching. The difference is it's not from a distance. He's in the field where you are in your world looking for a reason to bless you. You all have a beautiful month. And when Rosh Hashanah comes, may God inscribe each and every one of us for a year of happiness, health, and no more coronavirus. God bless you all. This is the Mensch. Where every single week I come to you and I hope I give you something to think about. Because you've got to make the right choice to be a Mensch. God bless you and have a great week.